Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome back to the Roker Report podcast. Sorry, the extra podcast even. We've got a little extra dose of depression this week, as uh, it seems to be um, from myself. We've got Bolton away on Tuesday. We've got the Borough at home on the Saturday. I've got to be honest, I much prefer the idea of speaking to a Bolton fan than I do a Borough fan, but I won't hold any prejudice. How do we discuss Saturday? I've summed it up as best as I can in an article that's hopefully going out in the next few days. It might be out already by the time you listen to this, but... That that was gravely depressing, wasn't it? I'm not very confident going into Tuesday. Um, I haven't been confident much all season. I tried to get myself up for Saturday and I didn't quite manage it, if I'm honest with you. But nonetheless, you know, you, you can't turn your back on the club at any point, I don't think. And based on the game that we have on Tuesday, I've got Ed from the Line of Vienna Suite, who is not very well, so I'm being told. How are you doing, Ed? Yeah, not the best, but I'm, I'm going to soldier on through. Good. You know, I'm proud of you doing that. I'm very proud of you. Most people wouldn't. Um, what, what's up with you this week? How are you feeling? There's a cold flu? Yeah, a bit of, bit of the flu, yes. Uh, all, all weekend kind of thing, so it's not the best. Did you get to go at the match on Saturday or did you miss that? Oh, I missed that completely. There was no chance I was paying £35 to go to London, plus £60 for the train, plus beer money, plus food money, plus other things, just to see us lose. It's not <laughs> worth it. I, I get where you're coming from with that. Yeah. I think Sunderland fans will empathise with that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking through uh, sort of your last, I always tend to look at like your last five or six results and I'll be honest with you, Bolton, Barnsley, Birmingham, teams around us, Burton, you naturally keep an eye on them more so than maybe the, the mid-table league. So I feel like I've got a bit more know-how about Bolton itself in regards to how you've been doing recently. But I actually thought you'd been doing a little bit better recently. But take out the Bristol City game, you, you seem... Are you missing Gary Medine? I think um, Phil Parkinson's still unsure of where to go tactically since he left because he was the complete focal point of the team. We kind of badged the ball up to him and, and he kind of knocked it down, put bring others into play and he was kind of the main attacking threat and he scored all our goals, really. He got 10 goals and I think five assists, so he was far and away the most creative player and a top goal scorer. Um, so we've kind of struggled since then to try and adapt and... We've not scored any more than a goal a game since he's left, which is troubling, really. And yeah, think, um, you got. I mean, talk me through the game on on Saturday, so I don't have to talk about hours. Uh, <laughs> I noticed it was obviously you got beat off QPR, which no no offense to QPR fans here, but I think getting beat two 0 off QPR for for anyone in this league, it just it sounds depressing, doesn't it? QPR is one of those those teams that just seem to be stumbling along, doing nothing. 
And I think, yeah, I mean, you went down to 10 men, of, of course, but how was Saturday? Was it was it good? Was it terrible? Was it depressing? I mean, the way Bolton were playing, it was it was like QPR by Barcelona, really. They were um, passing us off the park and com- completely bullying us in the air as well. Matt Smith basically played like Gary Medine was playing for us before he left. He, um, he had the beating of Wheater and Jeebus all game and we couldn't deal with the physicality. Normally Bolton are such a physical side, but we just looked downbeat completely. And I don't think the sending off implicated us. I don't think it mattered too much in the game. I think even if we were, we still had 11 men on the pitch, I think we would have lost. I think it's just an excuse to say, oh, we went down to 10 men. That's the reason we lost. But I don't think it was. I think it was more, it was a game where Matt Smith was having so many chances and they were having so many efforts in the box and shots on goal. It was only a matter of time before they got that goal and we lost the game. I, I did watch the, the game against Bristol City um, and I watched it with intent to, to hopefully see you struggling a little bit, truth be told, because <laughs> yeah. of Medine going. And I mean, as a Sunderland fan, you, at the moment, you've got to cling on to any sort of hope uh, that the teams around us are not going to be doing the business. And I, I remember watching it and I thought, well, you know, they'll they'll struggle without Medine, which it turns out it has. But I, I was actually really impressed with you against Bristol City. I thought you played really well. What What's changed since then? Was that just like one of those games where you... Your players up the game to show they weren't like a one-man team, and you've since like reverted to type. Or I think it's a little of that. I think it was, you know, in front of the sky cameras, you're trying to show the rest of the championship. You know, we're not just a one-man team. And Phil Parkinson trying to show he's you know he's not a one-note manager. He doesn't need a target man to win a game because we hadn't won a game without Medine since April 2016. <sighs> That's yeah, it's, it's, it was a pretty ridiculous start. So I, I think it was more of a statement and intent we don't need Medine to win a game and that which is brilliant and then I think since then the Fulham game we, we were unlucky I mean we were lucky to get a point but you know we could have won the game easily we had the chances to and I think um, yeah I think it's just maybe the Sky cameras give the Bolton players that little push to go for the win and I think maybe that you know we've struggled since then because because we're not on, you know we don't have that statement of intent yeah, I think I think since then you've had obviously you had the one-one draw with with Fulham at home. The game before the Bristol City game was a one-one draw with Ipswich. Mm-hmm. Cardiff, which is, I mean, you lost at Cardiff, which is is no great shame if I'm honest. We got hammered four 0 and they're one of those teams that they just don't look very good. But you know what? They're, they're so effective in, in what they do, and, and Warnock's obviously so experienced and, and putting the side out that can just do the job. And, and he always has teams near promotion. You know, love him or hate him. Warnock mm-hmm. knows what he's doing. But there's not a great deal of winning there, is there really, aside from that Bristol City game? But I, I, I again, I thought you, you had a bit of an upturn in form. But I suppose, you know, going back to the start of the season, uh, looking at Bolton, I remember just before we played you, before obviously Grayson got sacked, mm-hmm. when uh, we drew 3-3. And, and I suppose we looked at the Bolton game as like, this is the game he has to win because Bolton can't beat anyone. Um, which... It was at that point to an extent, but then you look at where you are in the league compared to where we are. Uh, we've had obviously a change in manager, a good manager, who I think everyone would back that as well. Everyone, most people would agree with me that Coleman's the right man, maybe at the wrong club. Bolton have so many issues, though, much like Sunderland, but you seem to be able to compete in this league. You know, you're picking up 1 1 draws here and there. We just seem to be getting beat by, by half time. Um, as it has been for a few weeks now. What is it that kind of reinvigorated Bolton at that point when you looked pretty much dead and buried around October time, if we're truthful? I, I think it was um, 
Phil Parkinson, really. I think um, there was we had we a massive loss to Birra, um at the end of September, and then there was a two-week international break. And I think um, during that time, Sammy Amiobi and Josh Vella um, came back into training because they'd been out injured for a while. And I think it was Parkinson working with the team for a couple of weeks and working on tactics and training. Um, and we came out against Sheffield Wednesday at the start of October after the international break and we got the first win. And it was like a monkey off our back. And since then, you know, form's been pretty good, really. In the grand, Obviously, the last two games haven't been great, but before the last two games uh, against Cardiff and QPR, I think we were 11th in the table. Since If you look at, if the table started in October, we were 11th, we've been 11th. So it's it's a weird thing, really, because we looked dead and buried before like, in the first two months. But since then, we've been a mid-table side on form. And I think that's down to Phil Parkinson and the way he's working with the team on the training ground and the tactics, really. And it's odd with with uh, with Bolton. The same sort of happened with Birmingham. We we had the game with Bolton at home, which obviously were, if I'm honest with you, I felt like Bolton were probably the better side, but we seemed to score from every shot we had. Yeah. And obviously we had grabbing in, which we, we could actually score. Um, but I, I remember Bolton coming to the stadium and everyone thought, it's a chance to win. Like, with all due respect, you looked dead and buried at that point. We seen mm-hmm. it as a winnable game. And and we were we weren't wretched, but we weren't good that night. And obviously the manager lost his job because the performance just wasn't there. And and Birmingham came and did the same. Birmingham looked dead and buried at one point and, and they came to the stadium and, and were the better team again. Um I, I just do you think and one thing I found interesting about, about Bolton is what Carl Henry came out and said about the stadium light. Now some people took it wrong, some people took it right, some people were a bit peed off with it, if I'm honest with you, what you said about coming to the stadium like being like an easy thing. But I think most people, if we're honest, can can agree with that. Did did you happen to come to the stadium like by the for the game by any chance? I know it was I, midweek, so I, yeah, I did, I did, yeah. Um I, I think I think he, he kind of had a point really, I think, because yeah. it had been so long since you'd won at home, it was kind yeah. of toxic and um similar to how we played away, we we've only won once in the championship in the last like two and a half years so mm. um and before when we came to the stadium like we hadn't won at all in like 30 games away from home in the championship so it was kind of the team who can't win who've literally not won away from home in 30 games versus the team who've not won at home in 10 months yeah. and I think that play, that played into I think that played into our hands a little bit you know if we'd been a little better defensively we probably would have come away with the win because I think your fans were very quick to turn on the side when it wasn't going your way. You know, um, there's a lot of games you've seen it on match of the day last season where you go two down before half time or you know against the team and camera yeah. pants and it's floods of fans exiting the stadium because you've you've yeah. seen it all before and you've you've kind of fed up with it. And I think that that definitely probably played into the minds of fans uh, or the teams um, who were going to the stadium and like that. All oh, the fans are going to be on their back. You know, we need to capitalize on that. I'm really pleased you picked up on that. You, you mentioned about the floods of fans leaving, and I feel like there's a lot of there's a, a lot of focus on Sunderland fans leaving the ground and, and not filling the ground in empty seats. And yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, it, we're still twenty seven to thirty thousand every week for the, the shite that we're serving up. But at the same time, you know that there is a lot of empty seats, and there is a lot of people that do leave early. But I, I've picked up on something you said there, and I'm, I'm quite pleased you mentioned it. You said because they've seen it all before. Um, I mean, do do you understand? Because um, you're, you're, you've been through very similar. Bolton have had a very similar like years of shite, effectively, probably more so than we have. Mm-hmm. But you, it, it's funny that you picked up that you know 
it wasn't just we weren't just turning our back at the first sign of trouble. We've seen this for a long while. I mean, do you understand why why Sunderland fans reacted in the way they do and why it was so toxic when you came up to the stadium? Obviously, it played in your favour, but I'm guessing you understand it, though, yeah? Yeah, I think it, it's more. It's probably down to the ownership and the fact that, you know, you, the club does its very best to kind of, well, when you're in the Premier League, to stay up at the last minute and then it was big celebrations and, you know, you've done amazingly well to stay up and then a couple of months down the line, it's not going well for next this certain manager and then next manager leaves and then you're kind of struggling again and kind of it, it was kind of like a horse that's galloping along and you know it needed shooting and it didn't get shot um, and then you finally yeah. got relegated and that was the you know the horse being shot and it, it's, it's it was a it's a grim time you know um, Bolton definitely went through the motions like that since I think since Silodice left in 2007 yeah. it's kind of been a downhill. They're just downhill since then, and um, we have, we can say the same about that. Since some Allardyce has left, yeah. what the fuck has happened? It's, it's, <laughs> the kiss, it's the kiss of death, isn't it? When Allardyce leaves, yeah. Um, we we had him far too short. Uh, I mean, we we the, the majority of the fan base is, and I, I, you know, maybe people disagree with me, but I feel like Allardyce was really well loved, and I think you probably agree with me here. I think Allardyce is severely underrated. You don't realize how tactically clever and and how mentally and phys- uh, not physically sorry psychologically clever he is as a manager until you've really got him yeah abso- absolutely he always used to boast that he had the best backroom staff in Europe when he was at Bolton because of the variety of um talent and um like knowledge they had um that he, he built for years and years he was he's very um analytical and I think the majority of the media just sees him as this big bloke who's plays you know one touch football and uh long football and you know someone who's who you know plays 20th century football and you know he's 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 a lot more than that he's he's very analytical and he's very more knowledgeable than people give him credit for yeah and no, i agree with that i think um i think with big sam i think the thing i was impressed with was towards the end of like his his only season that he had at Sunderland. Uh, Rafa Benitez came in and, and I mean realistically Rafa Benitez is a big name and he came to Newcastle he got one or two results mm-hmm. and they were like not just our direct rivals because we fucking hate each other but they, it, they were direct rivals for relegation and they had like 80 odd million I think or, or 50 million or something they spent under uh, McLaren and they brought in like Andros Townsend and mm-hmm. they brought in some good players at that point but he, he wasn't obvious with it, but I remember Allardyce just very much being like, oh, you know, Newcastle didn't win this week. And he just dropped little things in in the press conference to take the pressure off of Sunderland and add it towards sort of Newcastle. And I think that's what annoys a lot of Sunderland fans as well with with when people say, oh, Sunderland were, 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 were ripe to go down when Moyes took over. A lot of people look at him, oh, what was David Moyes meant to do? But Allardyce actually fixed... It, it, in six months, sort of fixed a lot of the crap that was going on for years. Mm-hmm. He, he put a backroom staff in. He he had the players being happy, and, and you know people talk about Allardyce maybe having a few dodgy dealings under the table, but they can't have been that dodgy because you know I'm sure he would have been caught by this point. I'm sure he's just a little bit savvy to what he's doing. Like it does kind of fall down when he leaves because you have the likes of Lamine Kone suddenly wanting 70 to 90 grand a week when he's previously on about 30, 40 mm-hmm. for six months of good football. But I think Allardyce is just a likeable bloke from a fan's perspective and a player's perspective. But technically, he just knows what he's doing. And I mean, the way we fell down when he left was, well, look where we are now. It's catastrophic. And I, I suppose I did want to touch on obviously Bolton as well. And again, all due respect, I think you're right, Bolton did fall down after Allardyce went. Blackburn did exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, 
sadly, somehow West Ham are, are staying afloat and they've got David Moyes. And I'd love to see them get relegated for the simple fact they've got David Moyes in mm-hmm. charge. Um, but I think Al- Allardyce is... He does build things. It's just a shame how far it falls after it went. I mean, with Bolton, it took a little while, though, didn't it? Before it kind of fell down with other He didn't get relegated straight away. It was three or four seasons later, I give it a Five seasons later, I think it was. Um, and I think that's more down to um, the playing squad, maybe, because um, it wasn't too dissimilar to Aldice's. Apart from he signed a player before he left called Gerald Sid who's regarded as the worst player to ever play for Bullen Wanderers. So, um, CID, that been... is that? The CID, yeah. not SID. Yeah, I remember. Yes. <laughs> um, so a lot of, that was Aladassi's parting gift. But I think um, it worked because Gary Megson was a kind of similar manager, um, except he didn't have that relationship with the fans uh, that Aladassi did. Um, but I think tactically he was very astute and he was very similar to Sam Aladassi. So it kind of worked for a couple of years. And then Owen Coyle came in and he was the kind of other side of the coin to Gary Megson. Um, he kind of had that relationship with the fans being an ex-player. Um, but then tactically, it kind of fell apart when Stuart Holden got injured and then that led to relegation. And and I think it kind of, you know, that's kind of built up over those five years as well. So that didn't help. But yeah, yeah it was a slow process, but it was kind of as soon as Lalladice left you could kind of tell over the years that it was leading to one place and that was relegation yeah and I think um it was weird because Bolton Bolton away is one of my favorite places to go I had that weird period where we we'd kind of turn up and you'd be kind of teetering around 14th 15th and I remember that the Solly Montari game uh yeah. when we scored in the last minute I'll never know how that went in because mm-hmm. it was like a cross it was a shot and that night putting it in the back of the net. But I think the season after that was when you got relegated. And I remember, yeah. you, come, remember you come to the stadium light and getting a 2-2 draw. In it. But I remember eventually it just, I think you finished third bottom, I think, that season. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you never really came back from that. I mean, you, you did in the sense you got promoted, obviously, from uh, League One. But I think what Sunderland fans will probably be quite interested in is how it came to manifest that you got into League One and and how grim is it? Is it did Did you find a... You see, with Sunderland fans, some some people said the same about going into the, the championship. He said, you know, at least we'll win more games, we'll get a bit of pride back, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. The, the kind of stuff you say to kind of convince yourself that it's going to be all right. Um, but with Sunderland, I think the thing we're worried about is that if we go down into League One, we'll struggle there as well because we're that bad. We we are honestly that bad. We're that bad from the top all the way down to the bottom. The playing staff, there's only really the manager and. I was going to say the fans, but even we were so apathetic at the moment. It's kind of like almost non-existent. We're there, but it's like a, a morgue. Um, but I think what Sunderland fans would be interested in is in reference to, obviously, when you went down into to League One. I mean, say what you want. Bolton are not a League One club. Never will be, never have been. Um, uh-huh. For me, you've always been either in the Premiership or you've been punching around the playoff places like mid-90s when I was watching football. Uh-huh. Um, but going down into League One, how much of a... Not a culture shock, but how how was it when you went down? Did you go down apathetic, or and and how did you find it when you went down? Is it as bad as it, it feels like it might be for us? Because we're feeling we're going down. Truth truth be told, mm. uh, yeah. I mean, the fifteen sixteen season in which we got relegated was a complete disaster um, because Eddie Davis completely withdrew all funding, and uh, you know the finance expert was brought in to kind of save well not save us but kind of put the club up for sale and uh try and 
find new owners, but that didn't work up for six months. And uh, it was it was kind of the things behind the scenes kind of made it inevitable that we were going to get relegated. And the atmosphere around the whole place was, you know, completely at an all-time low. Um, and even when the new owners came in, it was already too late. We were rock bottom of the league. We'd won, I think, three or four games all season. And it was just, you know, we'd been written off by about January and I don't think anybody expected us to fight at all. Um, and yeah, it was so it kind of, I think fans had gotten used to being like getting relegated to League One by the January in that season. Yeah. And um, when we were in League One, um, I think the only positive at the start of the season was that we'd brought in somebody like Phil Parkinson who was an expert in that league. You know, he'd got uh, Colchester promoted and uh, he'd had Bradford in and around the playoffs for a couple of years in a row. So it was a real coup for Bolton to get a manager like that. And I don't think any Bolton fans expected us to go up for the first time of asking. I think maybe if you'd said at the end of the the season, you'll be in the playoffs, snap your hand off, um, because that would have been pretty fantastic because the club was in debt and we've still you know 18 months on we've still not got any more we've not spent a transfer fee in three years um so it was it was kind of an impossible uphill task to get promoted um which miraculously we did but i think it's not great when you get relegated to league one but it was nice being in a league where you go to an away day and you're seeing your team put in a, a really fantastic performance and you're actually winning games and you you know you win games home and away and you there was a real buzz about the place by the end of the season, um, yeah. and I think that's the that's the real high point of the last five six years was uh, the game against Peterborough, the last game of the season last season, um, getting finally getting promoted and you know that sigh of relief and just celebrating because it's been a long long time since Bolton fans have had anything to celebrate about, and even though it was just you know getting promoted from League One to Championship, it's you know it's the highest point in the last few years but what was it that because I imagine a lot of the things you mentioned about ownership and bringing someone in to kind of effectively sell the club uh-huh. it's essentially what we're going through with with Martin Bain at the moment and he's not a well-liked person and certainly not by myself um some some people think you know he's just doing his job I, I don't like him personally so the mood even from the guy who's trying to like sort the finances out is it's not too good it, the, the club as a whole feels kind of dead I want to give a better word but it does and um, but I imagine Bolton probably felt the same you mentioned to me you felt like you were relegated by January I think you know a lot of fans feel we're relegated now I don't think we're going to get out of it and I think everyone would agree with that what was it that galvanised you was it the management or, or was it the players what what was what was the change that that made Bolton Bolton again if that makes sense I think it was just the fact that we we started you know the off-field problems kind of went away or kind of um, disappeared into the background when the new ownership came in um, and I think just the fact that we were winning games kind of took precedence among the fans and the players and you know everyone associated with the club so that kind of lifted everyone's spirits um, and I think that kind of helped you know I think when you're in a league where you're kind of a bigger fish in a smaller pond and you're actually winning games it makes all the difference really and did you do you feel like when you see Sunderland do you see similarities to, to Bolton in the 15-16 season do you see I, relatively similarities I think we were in a much more dire financial situation but there's definitely parallels yeah um, between like you getting relegated and, and us getting relegated six years ago. Um, I think you see it with a lot of teams, though, that um, kind of 
not live beyond their means, but kind of were used to Premier League football for so many years and then got to that point where it was inevitable they were going to get relegated and then they're in this situation where it's, you know, it's not looking great and you're probably going to get relegated to League One, the likes of Blackburn and Charlton and Wolves. I mean, Wolves have turned it around now incredibly. You know, there are different sides of what they were five years ago when they got relegated to League One. But um, in Portsmouth as well, but Portsmouth was a, an entirely different story, really. But you see it with a lot of these teams who get relegated. Um, yeah. Blackburn's another. I think Blackburn's another one that's going yeah. through the same mm-hmm. as well. And it's it's funny you should you mentioned Wolves there. Uh, you also mentioned obviously yourselves and, and the new ownership and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't expect you to be an expert on Sunderland, of course. Um, you know, I, I totally get that because me as a Sunderland fan, I know a lot about Sunderland and a little bit about everyone else. But um, do, do you think that's what Sunderland need from the outside perspective, from the outside looking in? Do you think it's just a, the ownership? is the one thing that needs to change to stop the club from basically ending up being a rotten corpse, which is what we feel like at the moment? I mean, uh, possibly, yeah. Um, I mean, Obviously, Ellis Short wants to sell the club and if I, if I believe rightly, you, you nearly had a takeover recently, last year, was it? Almost, I think, uh, the, yeah. the middle of the summer, there was rumours of a, a German consortium, but he, he came out with some video, which, um, you know, I, I, I didn't enjoy it. I, I didn't think much of it. Um, where he said he felt like it wasn't within the best interests of the club to sell it to this German consortium. And and if they're worse than Ellis Short, then they must have been pretty bloody bad. And I'll I'll take his word for it. But um but yeah, but no one no one seems to be coming in, to be honest uh-huh. with you. And the value of the club must surely be plummeting because no one really goes anymore compared to well, I mean, twenty seven thousand's not no one, but it's it's a pretty empty stadium in comparison to what the stadium like is and was the mm-hmm. fan base is apathetic the players don't seem to give half a shit half of them we've mm-hmm. basically got a bunch of young boys in the team who it's not fair to have the pressure on 17 18 year olds um i can't yeah. see how it's a sellable asset so i do worry that he's gonna have to hold on to basically the the ship for the foreseeable which is pretty grim but to answer your question yeah um <laughs> there the was an attempt to take over i, I just believe mm-hmm well, yeah, I think whether how how seriously were you don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I think end of the day you need an owner um, who's going to be passionate about the club 100. percent You know, is going to be really involved with the club and you know be the focal point of the club because everything stems from him. You know, finances and decisions on a, a, a you know the manager and what plays you can buy and other things like that. And I, I think as well as uh, you've probably got a lot of high earners um, that don't want to be there and you don't want them to be there. So that kind of plays into the apathetic atmosphere of the ground as well. Jack Rodwell would be one of them. 70 grand a week, would you believe it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ridiculous. It's it's ludicrous. And I think a, a lot of, um, I, I spoke about that, I think last week, I, I can't remember if it was on the podcast, I can't remember if it was just in general conversation, but um, I, I spoke about it with with Jack Rodwell. It, if you ever you want to know why our clubs run badly, we just survived relegation under Poyet with that mad run towards the end of the season, beating, well, getting a drop Man City, beating Chelsea away, beating Man United away, and winning all our home games when we hadn't won all season. Mm-hmm. Then we signed Jack Rodwell in the summer. We give him 70 grand a week. We pay £10 million for a player who's played 12 games in two years without an idea of where he's going to fit. And we mm-hmm. don't put a relegation clause into his contract, despite yeah. the fact we put it in everyone else's. Like Jermaine Defoe had one. Mm-hmm. Um, Every player, as far as I'm aware, had a, a pay cut 
or, or something stipulated in the contract. Jack Rodwell, no. And, and now you've got a guy who sits there that literally admits, according to Chris Coleman, who I believe, he doesn't want to play for Sunderland anymore, which is just mm-hmm. crazy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, how does that happen? Um, did you have a similar level? Because I know a lot of your issues with Bolton were, as you said, financial. But did you have a similar kind of rotten core of players as well? We we have this thing where it's a rotten core. I don't know how believable it is, but Rodwell's definitely part of something rotten. Um, did you have a similar kind of, I can't think of the word, but did, did your players basically act up a little bit and act like they didn't want to be at the club? There was only one player, really, who falls into that category, really, and that was um, Nigel Rio Acorca. Um He came on a free in 2011, and that season he was probably one of our better players, you know, a bit of a fan favourite, really. And when we got relegated, um, it seemed like the majority of the players were going to stay and fight the cause and help the team get promoted back to the Premier League, like players like Sam Ricketts and Zach Knight and Kevin Davis all signed extensions and... Um, even Martin Petrov, who I think was still in contracts, but you know he was showing no signs of leaving. Um, obviously, he, he was a quality player for the championship until he left. But um, Nigel Rio Coca had a relegation clause, like you were mentioning. Rodwell should have had, and within a couple of days of us getting relegated, he'd announced um, he was going to evoke that clause, and he was he was off, and it literally he disappeared. And I think Karma kind of came back to bite him a bit because he they, you know, he then didn't find a club for five months and signed for Ipswich halfway into the season, um, which I think kind of brought a little joy to Bolton fans. But yeah, we didn't really have that kind of um, negative players. I, I don't I, I don't think anyway, apart from Rio Coker, who decidedly didn't want to be there. And I don't know whether that annoyed some Bolton players at the time or not, that he just kind of didn't want to fight the cause and disappear. But yeah, I don't think there was that group of players who were openly um, negative and didn't want to play for Bolton. Yeah, we've got quite a few of them. Um, if, if what you're told is to be believed, um, but I think I think actions do sometimes speak louder than rumours or words. Um, so I suppose, you know, bringing, bringing you on to Bolton now, and this is all within, you know, Sunderland in mind as well, because I think Bolton have had a big transitional period. Um we're talking about stuff in the past here and, and stuff that has happened to Bolton over the past five to six years, um, how it sort of came back, how it sort of reformed itself. But then you look at um, the first opening three months of the season, things were looking pretty dire for Bolton as a club. Um, they're still not looking perfect. You know, you're, you're 20th, you're, you're certainly in a healthier position than, than ourselves and Burton, I suppose. But mm-hmm. um, the, the fan base as a whole from from an outside looking in with Bolton, seems to be in a little bit of a better place. Um, do, you, do you think, as a fan, you can you can stay in this league? Do you think it's you've got enough? Uh, it's, it's definitely achievable. Um, I think uh, a month ago, 90% of our fan base would have gone 100% because we still had Medine leading the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's still in a lot of fans' minds that um, Medine, if we had Medine still, uh, we'd... I think staying up would have been a certainty the way we're playing. Um, and now it's up to Phil Parkinson to find that right formula to make it work. Um, I mean, we've been linked with a few, if you can describe them, target man strikers like Victor and HB and uh, Anthony Stokes. And we've had Marrow and Shamak on trial, obviously, um, kind of players who big biggish names for the championship, but whether or not they'd be fit enough or fit into the style Phil Parkinson wants to play it remains to be seen so I, I don't know but it's up to him mm-hmm. to try and find the right tactics to um, 
keep us up. And I think a lot. I think a lot of fans of. I mean, after the result yesterday, you, you get this negativity um, with Bolton. You know, they kind of yes. jump straight. Oh, we lose a game, and then it's you know end of the world, and you know we're we're definitely going down, and we're not going to win till April, or you know some fans are you know down in the dumps after one loss or two losses in a row. Um, so it probably depends game by game. You know, if we get the win on Tuesday, um, you'll probably see a lot of fans a little bit more confident about staying up. But it's it's definitely achievable. I think. It's funny you mentioned uh, two former Sunderland players there, literally polar opposite opinions on both of them, mm-hmm. uh, Victor Anichibi and Anthony Stokes. Now, Anichibi, I, I did read the, the rumours of Anichibi coming. I think, you know, in hindsight, when you look at the players that Sunderland have brought in, uh, James Vaughan, who's obviously now gone to Wigan because mm-hmm. he was absolutely awful. Um, Graben obviously did a job, but he's gone. Uh, we've got the boy in on loan from... Middlesbrough, Ashley Fletcher at the moment, which oh yeah, ex Bolton uh, player. I don't want to jump down his throat after three games, but he's he's not much. Um, in in hindsight, Anichibi mm-hmm. would have been great for this division. It's it's literally his fitness levels. Um, has he? And this is terrible. I don't know this, but you know, once I leave something, sometimes that you you know you forget, especially when they go to China. So is he is he being released from China or is he? Yeah, I think he he left. Um... Beijing Enterprise or you know that's some right. other yeah, I think that's, that's what right. they were called I think he, he only played 12 times for him though so um, and I think um, there's some problem uh, our, our, the local news reporter said there's some problem with uh, his registration or something so I don't know whether or not he can even sign for a club until like, the, the start of next season anyway so um, yeah. yeah it's always a risk anyway when a player leaves a place like China, you don't know if they've been keeping up with the fitness levels. You don't know whether or not they'll be able to adapt back into because he's never played in the championship. No, so and, and it, with Anichibi as well, like he he, 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 he seemed to come in and like he was a bit of a, a bit of a joke signing when he first came into Sunland. It was like David Moyes found anything from two thousand thirteen, uh, sorry, two thousand and three with Neverton shirt and oh yeah, and no. started to sign it. Yeah. <laughs> And he was one of them. So he was, but he actually was he was great for us. And mm-hmm. we had a, a front three of Anichibi, Defoe, and and Watmore. And, and obviously Watmore, who's again got a cruciate ligament injury, really started mm-hmm. coming to his own. And you had Anichibi like on the left hand side, who was like the pace and the power. And you had Jermaine Defoe, who you know effectively is it's, he's, he's God, isn't he? He's brilliant. Um, and Anichibi did really well. And, and when he got injured, that's kind of when we we faltered. And by the time he came back we were pretty much relegated. And I think in hindsight, probably for both of us, he would have been a good guy to keep on board because rather than wasting the 500000 on on James Vaughan and having to make do with loan signings, we could have had someone like Anichi be bringing through the likes of Josh Madger and, and Joel Osoro. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I think if you if you picked up Anichi B, I don't think, I don't think he's a downgrade on Gary Medina at all. Just probably another player that needs to build up his build up his reputation I suppose again it, very much in the same way Gary Medine did but for very different yeah. reasons I suppose but yeah, um, very different reasons yeah um, Anthony Stokes uh, it's a bit of a weird one I mean I live in Glasgow so he's well like the Celtic he didn't do much for us um, he was a Blackburn I think last time I checked is that right yeah and I think he kind of flopped last season in the championship so um, I think fans would be sceptical about signing him. But I think that it's, it's a rumour anyway that kind of died down as soon as it was kind of put in the papers. So I, I don't think there's anything in that really. Yeah. I mean, Anichi B would, in my opinion, be considerably a better signing. But I suppose on the flip side, somebody like Anthony Stokes with a bit of a chip on his shoulder, admittedly a bit of arrogance has 
sometimes what you need in a, a, mm. a relegation battle, and I know people might disagree with me on that, but sometimes someone with a bit of character kind of ignites the place, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think from an outside looking in, Bolton have more of a team ethic rather than sort of superstars, I think, so maybe he wouldn't fit. Um, I suppose which brings me on to Sunderland, and, and someone said last week I should stop asking our guests which player would you take from Sunderland. I think that's because none of you want any of them, um, if I'm honest with you. So I'm going to change my question ever so slightly. Is there anything about Sunderland that worries you on Tuesday? Um, I think the game against Bristol worries me, um, because obviously, you know, you, you kind of, speaking about the fan base and how you, you kind of resign to relegation. But I think that coming down back from 3-0 down against the side like Bristol away from home kind of shows that little bit of tenacity and a little bit of fight. And that definitely worries me because um, when a team come and play with that kind of vigour against us, we kind of uh, don't respond great. Um, so, yeah, I think that worries me a little bit. In terms of sort of the management uh chris coleman i know it's got a little bit of little bit of stick on saturday not so much from me i was asking obviously if maybe because he says the right thing to get off a little bit lighter but i think that was just in, in the anger of, of saturday i think chris coleman is definitely the right man in charge but mm-hmm. um from and I, I was reading just through twitter just to kind of like read through other team's opinions on, on Chris Coleman and everyone's been quite supportive of Chris Coleman apart from a, a Bristol City fan who said we should have kept Simon Grayson which I wholeheartedly disagree with um, but did you expect Sunderland to be one of those teams to get out of it when we got Coleman from a Bolton perspective? Um, in truth no um, mm-hmm. because it had been obviously done fantastically well with Wales um, but it had been so long since he'd had a club job and coming into a, you know, especially a side like Sunderland, who've got all the issues off field and on the field and really apathetic fans who, you know, make that toxic atmosphere at home. You know, it, it was kind of a risky move on his part to yeah. join, you know, to become the manager of Sunderland. Um, I, I mean, you know, he, he's done a decent job so far, not the, you know, but um I think it would have been tough for any manager to go in and turn it around, you know, completely straight away. So I think it's it's too early to tell um, whether or not he's it, he's a really good appointment. If you stay up, it, you know, he's done the job and all that. But I think at the time I kind of saw it as a, a little bit of a risk on his part and a little bit of risk on Sunderland's part because he'd spent so many years away from club football and just Sunderland seemed like one of the worst jobs to take in England at that time. So, yeah. Yeah, it st- still is, um, if I'm honest with you. I mean, I, I love them more than, than anything. Obviously, I, I wish I, I wish I could change my stripes sometimes, but, you know, that you'll know as well as I do, you just can't. It's it's not no. in it's not in the fans' remit to do that. It's just it's not what happens. But, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I like him a lot, and I think he, he speaks an awful lot of sense, but... His hands are just so tied. He's he's either got the choice of like a, a 17 or 18-year-old young boy who's learning his trade and starting to come into like a really tough league, which is tough, you know, from a, a physical perspective and also mental perspective and also the position we're in is, is tough mentally as well. Or he's got someone who doesn't really want to be here. And I think it's frustrating. He's got people like Kone and, and he had previously before he went on loan, Didier and Dong. And he sort of put that gauntlet down and said, you know, yeah, fair enough. Maybe you are premiership players. You know, maybe you do want moves away, but you haven't played that well for the best part of the year. You know, go and prove that you deserve a, mm-hmm. a premiership move. And that's the, 
that's the right thing to say, 100%, but they just they, they still don't perform. I mean, Coney has been injured for a little while, but he came back in against Birmingham and we were 3-0 down you know, just after half-time. It's a bit of a joke, really. Um, didn't perform very well, got injured, and then, and then limped out of the game. And you've got the likes of sort of Billy Jones and, and Aidan McGeady who just kind of sulk around and, and don't really do much. Um, I, I just don't, I don't know how he, how he fixes something when he's got no tools at his disposal. Um, I'm, I'm starting to even look back at Simon Grayson and feel a bit sorry for him, which yeah, I really wasn't a fan of Simon Grayson. Did you have, um, did you have a differing opinion of our appointment of Grayson? I spoke to a, a fan last week who fully understood the Coleman situation and fully understood why Grayson went. But then when I spoke to a Bristol City fan, he said we should have kept Grayson. Again, like I say, I'll, I disagree with that. But when he first came in, I've, I've asked a few people what, what their thoughts were. Uh, like, was he a good appointment? And it's been quite mixed. Did you think he would have been a good appointment when he came in? Or did he have a similar opinion to someone that were a little bit manageable? His hands are tied, it doesn't matter who we bring in. Um, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of that. Um, I think uh, he, he was quite a shrewd appointment really because he, he kind of done a solid job at a couple of teams like Preston and Leeds in the championship so he, he kind of had the pedigree of keeping teams up in the championship at least I don't know how big aspirations were for Sunderland I don't know if behind the scenes they were definitely deciding on promotion or if a, an appointment like Grayson kind of you know was just we need to be middle of the road stick in the mud you know stay in the championship at all costs kind of appointment Um. But you know he'd done a job, um, but obviously um, at other teams, uh, obviously it just didn't work out at Sunderland. But I think there's more mitigating factors for that, and you can understand why you went for a manager like Colvin after him. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of fans felt it just wasn't the right fit because when it comes to Sunderland, there's a certain level of managers who who do well, and it's the ones who understand the area and say the right things. Mm-hmm i.e. Allardyce, uh, i.e. Peter Reid, i.e. You know, Mick McCarthy even uh, did really well with us, although he, he came down with a 15 points. He, he got us promoted after we were quite demoralised, and it's a lot about personality, and Coleman definitely has that, and I'm still hopeful that he will turn it around, but um, it just doesn't seem to sort of be working for us, really. Mm-hmm. So, you know, moving on to, obviously, the game on Tuesday, I think for Sunderland's perspective, I think if we lose it, I know there's a lot more games, but I think if we lose it, I think that's us done, if I'm honest with you. I think even the draw potentially is, is us done. But I always like to end the podcast on a maybe a bit of an obvious one. But um, what are your thoughts for the game on Tuesday? I, I think, uh, yeah, similar to what you said, I think whoever wins the game really, I think um, probably has the chance of staying up and whoever comes away with no points is probably going to the team that goes down. And I think it's that season-defining game for both sides because we're kind of in a rut at the minute. Um, so if we lose again on Tuesday, I think that rut may continue. Um, and if you get the win, it might, you know, after the draw against Bristol, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, it might reinvigorate your season. You might go on to have a really fantastic run. So I think, yeah, I'm not the most confident for the game on Tuesday. Um but you know, if we somehow come away with the win, I'll be a, a, a bit more confident about how the season progresses. Yeah, and I think um, I, I don't let it go against my own team, but I don't think it really matters. I don't see us picking anything up. As, as good as my memories are of Bolton, I've never seen us actually lose or drop a point at Bolton, actually, come to think of it. I've seen us win in the last minute, seen us win on the first day, and I've seen us uh, win a few years ago when Cessna and Benton scored. But I, I don't... I, 
I, I don't see anything in the in the club, let alone the team at the moment. I think there'll be another sort of knock on the door of relegation for us, unfortunately. And I, I really hope I'm wrong. I, I, I've tried to be positive as I can the past few weeks, but I think you know if if I'm coming from a neutral perspective, which I'll try, it'll probably end up being a draw, which is no good to any of us realistically no. um but that's kind of where the championship goes it might say exciting but but yeah eddie thanks for coming on um it's good to hear a a, a pod like a, a fan and, and do a podcast with someone who's kind of been through i think what we're going to go through and i wouldn't say phoenix rising from the flames but you've certainly rose back and you, you're competing uh-huh. again and you, you know you don't hate watching your football club or feel depressed doing it so only got to hope that we're going to do exactly the same, Eddie. But um, thanks so much for coming on. I hope you don't have a good Tuesday night. I think understandably so. But good luck for the rest of the season. And uh, thanks as always, mate. All right. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Anytime, mate. Not a problem at all. So that's the end of the Sunderland Bolton preview. Um, I think quite interesting as a Bolton fan from a perspective of being down into League One, having those financial restraints, so on, so forth, uh, which I think is where we're going to be going. I think we know we're skint. I think we know we're going down, um, you know, win on Tuesday maybe, but there's still so much work to do. I think we need to win five or six games minimum to get out of this. And I think we've only won five games and the championship so far so I, I, why that would change I don't know um, but but I hope we do you know I'll, I'll still be there I'll still hope that we pull it back I'll still hope that something happens but it's again it's nice to hear someone who's gone down there and, and had similar financial restraints similar shit happen to them to an extent and, and have rose back from it and been a competitive football team that can go into a league that's of a decent standard and win football games and have, it, have a little bit of hope and have a little bit of vigour and a little bit of something about the football club again I can only hope that that's something that happens with Sunderland and, and sooner rather than later um, but yeah I'll be back obviously again sometime this week with a, a Middlesbrough podcast we be speaking to a Borough fan which I'm sure will be a little bit um, exciting they'll probably show a lot of vitriol towards us because they hate us and I'll probably not care too much because it's Borough and no one really cares about Borough but yeah thanks very much Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program 
for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.